Father in heaven, we thank you for this chance to be here today in this place, and we pray, Lord, that you will pour out your spirit, that our ears will hear, that you will speak to our hearts, that we will understand, but even more than that, Lord, today is about what we do. Help us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we're going to start. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So God gives all of us jobs. God gives all of us tasks. There's things that, that we are to do. Some of them are work tasks. Some of them are tasks in our home, relational things. But we have these tasks that he gives us. And, and they're important, and they're important that we do them. So you have them, and I have them. And God gave Moses a very special task. God gave Moses the task of leading Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. And it was an incredibly difficult task. And there were a few times where he went to God in frustration and said, did I give birth to all these people? Why am I in charge of this crazy group? But that was the task he was given. But it wasn't just about physically leading them out. There was more to it. And you see a piece of it here in what he says in verse 1. He says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe, that, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So God gave Moses the task to teach the people his commands and his decrees so that when they got into the land, it would become their task to do what Moses had taught them that the Lord said to do. So this was just how that worked. That was a task God gave them, and then the task of the people was to do that. Now, I'm not Moses, and I did not lead you all out of Egypt. So it's not exactly like that, and God does not speak to me like he spoke to Moses. However, I have been given a task, and that task is to come here on a regular basis and talk to you about what God says in his word. And we've talked about this before. So I will talk to you about what God says in his word, and your task is to hear those things, and then as to the degree they align with God's word, then go out and do them. I mean, think about it. It would be kind of pointless to spend 45 plus times a year gathered in this place listening to someone talk for roughly 30 minutes and have it not impact you in any way, right? So so there's got to be some investment on my part to make sure what I'm saying aligns with what God's Word says, but on your part to come here to hear and then to put those things into practice in your life. These are tasks that God has given us. And, And I think particularly today, this is relevant because I think God has a word for us today And we find it here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The word I think God has for us today is this. God is calling us to go all in. It is time for you and for me to go all in for what the Lord our, for the Lord our God and for what the Lord our God is doing in this place right now. See, there's no point in me going all in on what God is doing in California right now because I don't live in California. There's no point in me going all in on something happening in Jacksonville. I don't live in Jacksonville. If I'm going to go in all in for the Lord my God and go all in with the people that I am with, then it needs to be here, in this place, those of us here. These are the people I love. And with them I go all in for God. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now we read those words and for us, we, we receive most of that figuratively. We figure these are figurative sayings, but if you were to go to Israel or maybe certain places in New York and even Miami for that matter, you would find communities of people who take these words very literally and they will literally wrap things around their arm and bind it to their hand and they will wear things on their head that align with what's said here so that God's Word is right there. And if you walk outside of the houses, you'll see these little things that look a little bit like doorbells that are kind of crooked. It's a little holder for Torah. And, and you'll see when they go out, they will touch them. And that is, uh, that is writing the commands of the Lord on the door frames of your home. Now, uh, probably we don't need to do those things. We don't have to do those things. But, but we do at least need to understand why God would say it this way and have the, the spiritual reality actually taking place in our lives. So we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength, and we're to follow His commands. And these things, the text said, should be on your heart. It is not enough for you to have the commands of God in your head. They must be in your heart, which means your will is set towards God's will. These things are to be impressed on our children. We're supposed to talk about them with our children. And I, and I have to make a confession here because I don't always do a great job with that. Isn't that how it goes? You know, whatever your profession is, sometimes at home you don't do it very well. And I haven't always done that as well as I have. I'm so thankful for my wife, Alicia, who has done that far better than I have. Impressed God's commands on the children. Talk about them regularly. Think about your conversation over the course of a week. What kind of topics come in? Think about your conversations at home. How often do those conversations come onto the ground of God's love, God's commands, and God's will for our lives? According to this passage, that should be normal. It should be so much a part of us, the commands of God, 
that it is though they are tied to our hands. In other words, all of our actions would be aligned with God's commands and that they would be bound on our foreheads. So not just our actions, but also our thoughts would be aligned. And they ought to be the rule for our homes, so much so that it's as if they are written on the doorposts of the house. You see, what this is talking about is it's about who we are and how we live our lives. And that always reminds me of Psalm chapter 1, which is one of my favorites. And it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight, I love that word, associated with the law. His delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. It's another level, isn't it? Where your heart is really into this idea of loving God. But I want you to understand what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about you're fixated on the law like a legalist seeking justification. So I want to deal with that right here before we go any further. If you have it in your mind that you need to go out of here and focus on God's law for the purpose of being good enough to be saved, let me tell you right now, you will fail. You're not that good. Our salvation is based solely on our faith in Jesus Christ. But God's law is given to us so that we will know how to live. So right here he's saying, blessed is the one who doesn't get involved in the wickedness, but instead their mind is fixed on the law. We're not talking about somebody who's a hanger-on, kind of spending half the time in the world and half the time with God. They've got a form of godliness, but no power there. Well, anybody can put on a suit on Sabbath and look pretty godly, right? But it's not about how you're dressed. It's about what's inside. Instead, someone who loves the Lord with all their heart and all their soul and all their strength. That's what we're talking about. Not like somebody, you've seen them, they come to the pool and they, they kind of dip their toe in. They're like, oh, I don't know. And they wade in a little ways. And maybe get up to here. No, that's what we're looking for on the graphic. Total commitment. There's no turning back from there. You don't get back. You're going in. That's all in. Not a person with two minds who wavers back and forth between two opinions, but instead all in. So what happens when we go all in? So let's go back to Psalm 1 because this is very interesting. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person, the one who doesn't go over here with the mockers and the sinners, but rather is focused on God's law and his purpose, that, purpose, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. You want to prosper? then don't focus yourself on what the world is giving you. Focus yourself on what God has given you. Sometimes that image is a little lost on us here in Florida, the idea of the tree beside the streams of water because, I mean, water just kind of comes down out of the sky here. But if you've ever lived in a place that was a desert, 
then you can appreciate what the psalmist is saying. Because you go out into the desert and everything is bleak and there is nothing. But every now and then you'll just see a ribbon of green. That's where the stream is. And that's what you will look like in the world if you make God's purpose for your life your delight. Deuteronomy chapter 11, love the Lord your God and keep His requirements, His decrees, His laws, and His commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God, His majesty, His mighty hand, His outstretched arm, the signs He performed and the things He did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country, what He did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how He overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what He did for you in the wilderness until you arrived at this place, and what He did to Dathan and Abiram, son of Eliab, the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things the Lord has done. So it's interesting what Moses is saying here. He's talking to the older folks that are a part of Israel, and he's saying, now remember, it's not your kids that saw this stuff. You saw this stuff. And in fairness, we didn't actually see those things either, did we? We weren't there. We didn't see it. But we have heard the stories of what God has done. And beyond that, let's just go beyond that for a second. What has God done in your life? What have you seen? Maybe I didn't see myself the Red Sea, but I've seen enough in my own life to cause me to believe. For one thing, the way that God brought me out of my Egypt, across my Red Sea, and into this promised land where I'm now living. That's my story. That's my testimony. You know some of it. I know all of it. And you have a story like that, how God found you and brought you to where you are. I've seen other things. And I have knowledge like the knowledge of God's presence. Six years ago, as Alicia and I waited, not knowing at the bedside of our son Nathan. Some of you were here six years ago, and you remember it was almost exactly six years ago when in the middle of the night his heart stopped, and we stood at his bedside having no idea what would come of it. Yet in that moment, we knew God was there. We felt a presence in that moment. And I, and I know about last year, the last year that Alicia, my wife, spent enduring brutal treatments. One year ago right now, she was in the middle of it. The last year that Alicia spent enduring brutal treatments as together we fought the cancer that afflicted her. And the way the Lord brought us through so many things, so much more than just the cancer so many other things the Lord brought us through in that last year. I know these things. This is my experience. But it's not just what I've experienced that tells me of the goodness of the Lord. I have witnessed God's goodness in the lives of those, some of whom have not seen the Red Sea part. 
Nancy Temple is one of our members. She was with us at first service. She's a person who was baptized in this church and came to believe here. And she really has connected strongly at House of Prayer, our, our prayer meeting on Wednesday night. She had cancer uh, a while ago and, and came through it, and it all was looking pretty good. But then, then some time ago, maybe six months or so, it came back. And it doesn't look like it's going to go away this time. And it's pretty amazing when she can get out of her house at all. But she comes to House of Prayer anytime she can because she wants to be with the people she loves. And she made it to church today. I was amazed a couple weeks ago when she made it to House of Prayer for the first time in a while to hear her testify before the ones she loves about the goodness of God, even as she is going through this incredibly difficult experience. But you know why she can do that? Her hope is in Jesus, who's the resurrection and the life. Not in whether or not a doctor can figure out how to heal her now. I've seen the goodness of God. I've seen the goodness of God week after week in the God-given courage of the Fulbrights who each day after their loss have chosen faithfulness and fidelity over fainting and futility. I read your posts. You post faithfulness. And I've seen the hand of God comforting His people in the right now happening in the God-honoring determination with which Fiorella Meidinger and her boys Maddox and Marshall cling in hope to the hand of Jesus as they this very minute wait beside a hospital bed for Carl, their father and husband, to try to fight his way out of the fog that has been on him since the stroke he suffered a week and a half ago. Clinging to faithfulness. Some of you are, are sitting here and, and your life is not that tough. I want to tell you, you are surrounded by a crowd of witnesses, some of whom have suffered more than you will ever suffer in your life. Yet they have remained faithful and believing in the goodness of God. Perhaps my eyes didn't see the literal children of Israel crossing the Red Sea, but that does not mean my eyes have not seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. I have seen it in the people around me who have clung to faith even in the hardest of times. Have your eyes seen any of these things? Do your ears ever hear these reports? And are these evidences, along with the myriad of stories from your own life, enough to convince you that we really should love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength? Has God earned from us this kind of love? All of this without mentioning the fact that we wouldn't exist at all if He hadn't made us in the first place, right? 
All of this without mentioning we'd have no chance at all if he hadn't sent Jesus to save us, right? And all of this without mentioning that if Jesus hadn't promised to come again, there'd be no point in it anyway, right? In light of all of this, how could we ever justify not going all in? If you believe in God, don't you think it's time to go all in? Now I know the call of the world can be strong and entertainments of the world are so fun or at least they're so fun for a season. And you know if you've been down this road. But in the end, what do the idols of the world give you? Nothing. Nothing that lasts, anyway. There was a time in Israel when the people weren't all in. In fact, there were lots of times in Israel when the people weren't all in. But the one I'm thinking of specifically happened in the days of Elijah, which incidentally the Bible implies the last days will be kind of like the days of Elijah. But, but the, the one I'm thinking of was happened in the time of the days of Elijah. The people weren't all in. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Do you hear the call? It's the call to be all in somewhere. You either need to be all in or you need to be all out. Those were not the days for riding the fence. And let me just say, these are not the days for riding the fence. Trying to live half in and half out. Or perhaps a more perfect illustration, this is not a good time to be a Laodicean. Maybe you remember this from the Seven Churches series that we did two years ago. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So now let me just tell you what I believe this counsel is. The gold refined in the fire are the laws and commands that the Lord has given us. And we receive it 
And the white clothes we wear become the righteous acts we do when we live according to those things that God has given us. And by doing this, our eyes are opened and we see. Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is what I'm trying to say today. It's time for us to open that door where the Savior knocks. It's time for us to go all in. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So why am I saying this today? And why have I used some passages we normally only use if we're, we're doing an apocalyptic message? Well, if you're hoping I have some inside information on exactly when Jesus is coming, sorry, I don't know anything specific, but I'll keep you posted if I hear anything. All I know for sure is that Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. I will say, however, that I do see our days as being parallels in many ways to the days of Elijah. And further, I also believe I see something else very clearly. The greatest need of this congregation is not that you're going to leave here and go home and not know what you're going to have for lunch. Well, you may not know what it is, but you've got options, right? And you're probably going to be fine for supper, and you're probably covered for the rest of the week, right? That's because you're rich, at least comparatively. So that's not our biggest problem, is it? Instead, our greatest need in this community is that we would all, that we would all go all in with our love and commitment to God through Jesus Christ. So I want to talk to you about what all in looks like. Now, there's a lot of different ways we could describe it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose four things of what all in looks like, four ways we can go all in with God and with each other in worship of God together. And you may want to write this down so you can get a, get a pen or a pencil out. You may want to write this down, four things, or you may wish you didn't write it down after I say it, but... Four ways. Number one, going all in with God. Commit to daily personal Bible reading and prayer. Is there anyone who's heard that for the first time? No. The reason you haven't heard that for the first time right now is because there is nothing else you can do by yourself personally that you're in control of every day that will be more powerful to helping you go all in than to commit yourself to, even if it's just 15 minutes, to sit down, open God's Word, and read it. Now, I went to seminary, and they taught me some stuff. 
But the bulk of what I know from the Bible came from my morning reading time, not from any class I ever took. And that can be true for you because the very same Spirit that helps me as I read the Word will help you as you read the Word. Daily Bible study and prayer. Opening and reading. You probably have 20 Bibles at your house. That's not the problem either. So number one, commit to daily personal Bible reading and prayer. Number two, commit to regular attendance here at this place so that we can be built up and build each other up. There's nothing more frustrating than saying, these are the people I love, but half of them didn't come this week. We come here to be together in community. Yes, we are on our own, we learn, but then we gather the coals, and together the coals create a fire. We need this time. So commit to daily personal Bible study and prayer and commit to regular attendance. Number three, commit to life in a small group. Now, one of the things we have in this church that does this very well is our Sabbath school classes. And typically, people who are involved in a Sabbath school class feel a connection and a unity to a community within this church. And people who are not feel like they're on the outside and as though they're left out and they don't have a part in anything. And that community can take a lot of forms. It can be a ministry. It can be a Sabbath school, different things. But I want to push you one step further. And you have this handout. This fall, again, to go along with the sermon, starting after September 8, we will be doing studies on faith, hope, and love. And I want to challenge you to be a part of a group that is doing this study. Now, I know there is nothing harder I could ask this group to do than to commit to this. It's not our culture. It's not our norm. It's not what we usually do. Not only that, in order to do it, I have to quit doing something else I like because it comes during the week when you do other stuff. But I want to challenge you on this point that if you will do the daily Bible study, if you will commit to regular attendance and you will be a part of a group, it will be a revolution in your life. But before... I try to sell the whole deal, let me give you the fourth. The fourth is to commit to giving of tithes and offerings to the work that God is doing in this place. Not not simply because the church somehow needs it, but because you need to be a part of what happens. And the only way you can be a part of it is when you're fully invested. And I want to give you a little context on this. And and most of you probably know this, but I'm going to say it anyway for the sake of redundancy. When you were a kid, your dad gave you a dollar and you put a dollar in and you felt good about it, right? And then you got a little older and you thought, well, I really ought to give something. So you're a big spender and you put 20 there. Okay. So impressive a little bit. But I want you to understand something about what it means to be really committed and what God has called us to. Tithe is not a 20. Tithe is 10%. I didn't make that up. It's in the Bible. And then the way our church is structured and functions, church budget is on top of that. And building funds are on top of that. Now, I just want to tell you something about our family and our family finances. 
Okay, the biggest single expense we have on a monthly basis is our mortgage. You probably got something like that too. But the second biggest single check we write every month comes to this church for tithes and offerings. More than cars, more than insurance, more than we spend singularly on food. And we're not even all in like some of you. I mean, we're all in about as much as we can be. But there are people whose faithfulness to this community is so significant, the amount of money they give in any given year would buy my whole house. That's what all in looks like. Not just coasting along, trusting that everybody else is going to do it. Being a part of it. All in means all in, not halfway in. And these commitments I've outlined will be, if you will do these things, it'll be like tying the words of God and His commands to your hand because that's what you'll be doing and binding them on your forehead because you're going to have to think about it to make this work. But let me promise you this. If you did these four things, you cannot do these and not be changed. So that's really the question. Do you want to be changed or or is that actually the thing you fear the most. I mean, that's kind of what the halfway game is. I don't really want to change. Maybe you want to test the Lord. I'm I'm praying today that the Lord will put a conviction on your heart that you will do these four things that I have just mentioned to you, that you will do these four things from today until Thanksgiving. I'm not telling you you have to do this the rest of your life. But I will tell you this, if you will do these things from today to Thanksgiving, you're going to want to do these things for the rest of your life because they will transform your experience. Daily Bible study, regular church attendance, engagement in a small group, and particularly these studies, this will link us together as a church if we will do this in ways we've never been linked before. And then a commitment to giving because giving is how God breaks us of our self-centeredness and our selfishness. If you will go all in until Thanksgiving, you will come to Thanksgiving with so much to be thankful for, you won't even be able to say it all. And you will never want to be not all in again for the rest of your life. Now, it's your call, but I will let Elijah make the rational appeal. Can you hear his voice echoing down to our day? Here's Elijah. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly. Hear, Israel, hear, and go all in. Let's pray. Father, May your Spirit bring a strong conviction in our hearts right now. 
Help us to go all in for you so that we can love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. In Jesus' name, amen.